What's up, everyone? Uh, all right. I think uh, David's about the only one that's heard me speak ever. Right, David? Uh, have you? Oh, when? Have you been to youth ministry? Aren't you like 28? Just kidding. I'm joking. Uh, all right. All right. Well, welcome back. So, Steve. All right. So, I am a little bit different than Lex. Um, I don't love the Lord as much, I guess. Just joking. Uh, but I want to take you guys um, on a little journey for a little bit because. I feel the most important part that we kind of miss as Christians is getting to this place of knowing that you are absolutely loved by the Father. Um, and I think that's where worship comes. And I think sometimes, even for myself, I did not grow up in a Christian home. Um, I'm, I'm a product of a teen pregnancy from my parents. Uh, my mom died three years later. So I was pretty much raised by my dad as a 21-year-old male, so you can imagine. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Um, I grew up around a lot of drugs, alcohol, biker gangs. I grew up in a very crazy world and society, um, and a lot of poverty. And then my dad got remarried when I was 12, 13 years old, and she was abusive towards me. Um, I will be honest, I, I, I do cuss sometimes. <laughs> But with that, it's because it's just where I'm at and what I've been through, been, been through in my whole life. Uh, my stepmom, I thought I was looking to be loved. My dad worked 60, 70, 80 hours a week. And pretty much by third grade on, I was taking myself to school, making my own lunches, getting home, taking care of myself. Um, I just didn't really, though I was not an orphan, I was an orphan. And I just pretty much just raised myself. But when my stepmom came into the picture, uh, my dad did better for his life. He moved us out of like this. The I was around a lot of gang violence uh, down by Lincoln High School. That's where I kind of grew up. And my dad moved me, got me out of that whole mess, and moved me to suburbia. Went to Arvada West, and he just said, "I just need to get you out of here." But my dad was never there. Still, um, he was very, very supportive of me when he could. Now that I'm older, I understand. He was just trying to have a life for me. I just, where was he? Which led to my stepmom coming into the picture, and I just not having a mom in my life, just a lot of random girls sleeping at my dad's house as a young male would. Um, it was just tough. Uh, she was very abusive in the sense of, uh, she would literally say to me every day that you're nothing but a piece of shit and you're never going to amount to anything. That's tough to hear. And it gets in your head. She would always just kind of just pound me with these words that you're worthless, you're no good, you're never going to be anything. And it's there's times she would um, punch me, physically abuse me. And it's a lot to take in when all you are as a teen and as a kid, do we just want to be loved, right? We long to be loved and to be seen and to be known, right? We're human beings. I don't know one person that does not want to be known. And just have someone go, you are loved. That's all I was looking for. And I would do whatever it took to get that attention. I was excelled at sports, just not because I was just good at it. I just wanted my dad to say, good job, son. That's all I wanted. I wanted my stepmom, when she passes bipolar stage and not just like love me, not when everyone is at our house and she played mom, but when she left, she ignored me. And so there was a time, this is the most painful part, I'm most, much more healed. But I came to this part where I was 18 years old, I literally just graduated high school, and my stepmom went to my dad and said, You either choose me or your son. One of us have to go. My dad said, I choose you. And I got kicked out of the house. Moved in with my grandma. Just a little bit of background. I am the first male in my family not to go to jail. 
So that tells you kind of about where my life and what my family tree is. It's not good. Moving with my grandma, she just got radically changed by God five years before. And I mean, she was radically saved by Jesus. And she was one of those grandmas that said, go to church, go to church, go to church, go, just go to church. I'm like, church is stupid, not going. She'd invite me to camps, invite me to a youth group, and invite me to all these things, and I was ignored by the church kids. Here I was, popular in high school, but you get into the church world, it's different. I didn't fit in. Once again, my very first experience in youth group, I walked in the room with 23 kids. They all looked at me while they were in a circle and turned back around. My very first experience with church. The next experience, I went on a pumpkin patch ride because I was listening to the wrong music. A pastor yelled at me in front of 100 people. So my two experiences with church, supposed to know the love of God, I've been rejected. And that's all I've dealt with is rejection. Now I don't have sports to go to. And so I go to this world. My grandma goes, and then I fell, and then I started finding hot women are good. There was a hot girl at the church, so I started going a little bit more. <laughs> that's God. You say, that's what he did, and it worked. And I went to church a little bit more, but I didn't understand it. But as we fast forward, I get radically saved by God, and I get these major changes happen in my life. And... I felt called to pastor, and you got to remember, first time I went to Bible school, I only read one book in the Bible, the book of Job. I called a job. My grandma always said, that's what you need. You need to start paying rent around here. I was like, that's interesting. But Job wrecked me. I was like, if this is what it's like to serve God, I don't want to play. I was like, and did you know, this is a little side note, I used to sin on purpose just so I wouldn't be Job. <laughs> Tricked you, God. <laughs> I was like, if he's righteous and that's what happens, what happens if I sin a little bit? And then God won't do that. Yes. So I went through, so I, I become a youth pastor. Fast forward about, I went to Bible school, all that stuff. Uh, about 20, at the age of 24, I become a youth pastor. But here's my relationship with God. And I tell you that whole story to tell you this. I still viewed God as a distant father. I viewed him as someone that didn't really want me around, didn't really care about me, didn't want to see me, be with me. I really looked at him as a kind of like, you're up there, you are God, I'm just going to serve you, and long as we're good, you won't send me to hell, <laughs> and as long as I obey you, I, I, everything will be good. Have you guys ever been there before? He was just like, you're, he's distant, he's far away. And I'm going to fast forward to the goodness of God, and we're going to get into Scripture because I love Scripture. But I want to share this thing. where This is where God actively pursues you. I've been a pastor. I ran big ministries. I became a senior pastor at 29 years old. And I thought I had the world. My, my church was growing. Everything was growing. And then everything fell apart when my youth pastor and my worship leader had an affair. And it destroyed a lot of things that I thought was good. And God just wiped it. And he brought me all to this guy. His name's Chad Norris. I began reading this book called Signs, Wonders, and the Baptist Preacher. It's a good title. He came from a very Baptist background. And then all of a sudden he started coming to know the signs and wonders, similar to Lex's story. His is so crazy. His first time he prayed over someone, he healed a blind person. He was just as shocked as anyone else. <laughs> he had a healing service. He heard about these. He started. God started opening his eyes to all these healing signs and wonders. He holds a healing service in his Baptist church. The first person they bring to him is a blind person. And the guy sees. And now he is, he's, I love the guy. He's still an important part of my life, but he came to fly out. He lives in South Carolina. He runs a church called The Garden right now. And he flies out. We meet because I, I brought him in to speak. I was like, I need this guy to speak in my church. At my house, we're sitting in my porch, and he begins to prophesy over me. Like he's reading my mail. Have you ever had that happen? Like I'm really new to this. I'm just like, even though I was Assemblies of God, I just believed in speaking in tongues and raising my hands and being a little loud. 
That's all I really knew. I didn't really know about healings, even though my daughter was healed. I just didn't understand it. I didn't understand intimacy. I didn't understand Father. I didn't understand Abba. I didn't understand presence. I didn't really get it. And he's in my room, and he's sitting there telling me, like, like reading my whole life, and he goes, you know what? The Father loves you. You know, I've been in church as a pastor for 15 years, and I haven't heard it yet. This Father loves you. And I said, no, he doesn't. I don't understand it. I don't get it. And he just began to just share, just, I'm not going to share personal stuff, but he just began sharing into my heart this Father, this goodness, this presence, this intimacy that this Father, this God wants to have with you. Like my prayers were pretty much just like, did I do good today, Dad? <laughs> and he wanted, and he just began just to weep into me. And I remember he, he owns a service at our church, and all these people come, and he begins speaking, and no one moved. No one was moved by it. I just ran to the altar because he talked about the Father's love, and I wept for two hours. I mean, it wasn't just a, <laughs> I was like wailing. I just like, I just want to know this God that you keep talking about. And he just, he just kept on, he goes, and then he stayed for the weekend. And he just goes, I'm here for you. Like, I didn't come for your church. I came for you. And he began to just speak into my life for the next three years about the Father's presence, the Father's love, and the Father's goodness. And this is what's going to lead me. We're going to go to 2 Samuel chapter 9. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. If I mess up words, it's because I'm not good with them. I don't really care. You know what I mean when I say it, right? It says in 2 Samuel chapter 9, we're just going to read this chapter, and I'm going to stop and camp at places. He said, one day David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? So you got to remember what's happening. Saul's dead. You guys remember who Saul is? He used to be the king. He's dead. He dies in, in 1 Samuel chapter 31. He's dead. David has taken over, and he goes, and pretty much at that time, when a king took over, he looked for everyone in else's family. They usually killed him, right? When a new king's in charge, they're like, get rid of the old, in comes the new. It's kind of how it worked back in the day. He goes, and is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Any, anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Who knows Jonathan is? Yep, yep, yep. Best friend of David. Yep. Yep, there you go. Pastor's kid. He summoned a man named Ziba, who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba? The king asked. Yes, sir, I am, Ziba replied. The king then asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. That's pretty crazy. Just think about that part. He literally wants to show kindness to this guy. He goes, Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's son is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. Remember, people that are they're pretty much disposable back then. They didn't need you. And uh, it's interesting that he even said that. He goes, where is he? The king asked. In Lodibar. Now picture Lodibar. It is a place of desolation. It's pretty much just where they put the misfits. This is a place where the unwanted are put. Have you ever had a Lodibar place? I just shared a brief history of my life. I lived there. Even though I wasn't crippled, my heart was, my mind was, and nothing seemed to heal it. I just literally lived in Lodi Bar. And I, have you guys ever been there? Have you ever visited Lodi Bar? It is one of the worst places to ever be. And this is where Mephibosheth lived, and Ziba told him, at the home of, I'm not even going to say that guy's name, I don't even care. So in verse 5, so David sent for him and brought him from Makar's home. His name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. David said, Greetings, Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. And I love what David says. Don't be afraid. Can you imagine what is going on in Mephibosheth's mind? He is literally crippled. The king comes, the most powerful king that's ever going to walk in Israel's history. He's thinking he's dead. Think about this. Can you imagine? None of us have ever been in that spot 
where we're like, our life is on the line. He's probably thinking, I'm getting ready to shake my last breath. Breaths. And he's like, this is it. And can you imagine how soothing it was when the king gets down and says, don't be afraid. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Think about what's happening here. This is no different than what I was feeling in my own life. I didn't, like, I literally was, like, we should have a fear of God. He can literally, Jesus even says, he is the one that can send your soul. He is the king. And there it is, as, as my friend Chad is just telling me, this God absolutely loves you. Here I was, you guys don't understand. I could compete with, 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 uh, with um, Paul as a chief of sin. I was a bad kid. Even my grandma, I told you about how every male in my family went to jail. My grandma said this two weeks before I got saved. Two weeks after I got saved, she goes, I thought you were going to be the worst of the bunch. A lot of love. <laughs> I was headed down a very bad path, not criminally, but anything else I could get my hands on, I was bad. And I always had this shame still, even when I got saved, that I was, like, he still didn't care. Like, it, the grace wasn't good enough. Does, have you ever lived in that world? Like, you sit there and go, do you know what I've done? Do you know who I am? I am filth. Here I was in my mid-30s, pastoring good, high-end ministries where churches were calling me to be a part of their church. And they're sitting there, and here I am as an orphan going, I don't even know God's love. I could teach you all the theology in the book. I could teach you all these things. I could memorize scripture, but I didn't even understand the Father's love for me. That's hard. And I'm wrecked at that moment because here I felt Chad in my, in my house is sitting there going, I'm going to give you everything and I want you to sit with me at the table. You guys understand what's happening. Lex talks a lot about tables. Yeah, he built them too. <laughs> so you think about this whole table situation. This is probably going to hit Lex. Like you're sitting there going, the king wants Lex to sit at the table. It's an invitation to the, from the king. It's from orphanhood to sonship here. Here's a cripple that has no use to give to the king. There's nothing Mephibosheth can give to the king. Nothing. He has no use to give to the king. He's worthless in a lot of people's eyes, obviously. He was thrown away. And I love this. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? How many times have we done that? Where we've gone to the king and just said, I'm not worthy. Have you guys ever done that before? I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of any of his love. I'm not worthy of any of his goodness. Did you know that's a slap in his face? Because he thinks you are. This is so good about the king. And here I am. Chad spent a lot of years trying to just punch this into my head. Because I would always say, I'm not good enough. Do you know what goes on in my head? Do you know the things I say? Sometimes I read the Bible just to get a sermon. Do I really love God? I've worshiped God as much as I could with my hands raised just for attention. I've worked for churches just to get a paycheck before. Do not let your dad know that. That was, that was pre, pre-encounter. <laughs> I think every pastor's done that at some point. 
<laughs> do. So you look at what's happening here. Like, I think, yeah, you're sitting there going, well, that's not a big deal. I was fake to the king. That's worse. Have you ever been fake to God? That's not good. I used to let God go, look what I can do for you. Yeah, look at this song and dance. He's like, ah, I just want you. And there's so much, we have this dead dog mentality. Then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and servants are to farm the land for him to produce food for your master's household. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will eat here at my table. Ziba replied, yes, my lord, I am your servant. I will do whatever you commanded. And from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at the David's table like one of the king's own sons. What? That's big. That is so big. You guys like get what's happening here? This doesn't just happen. Once again, put yourself in this position. And I'm putting myself just in my own childhood. I have felt rejected and not loved in my own household. When you're constantly told that you are nothing and no good, which I'm sure Mephibosheth went through, then all of a sudden the king comes. And we're, not, we're just talking about King David. We're not even talking about King Jesus right now. King David shows that he's just a man. He has a lot of power and a lot of authority. And he literally just showed so much kindness and grace to a nobody. And you know how kings ate back then, right? It wasn't Wendy's, like, drive through You're driving on Route 66. They killed the best cows, the best food. That dude ate good. Do you understand what's happening, even in our own life? And it's getting to this point that we have to break free of all these stupid excuses that we are no good. Because I feel like sometimes what blocks us from worshiping the king is focusing on ourselves and how good we are not. And the best thing that broke free for me in worship was let, let, God let me know, I want you to worship me. Does that make sense? I want you to worship me. I want you to love me. Forget about everything you've done and come to grace. He ate, and it says here, at the end, I think it's, I have so many pen marks, I don't know what verse it's at. I think it's verse 13. And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. Think of this word regularly. It's, it's good to hear that you're loved once, right? Oh, that feels good. That's warm and fuzzy. But the king tells you he loves you every day. He's literally inviting you to his table on a regular basis. Holy cow! What is happening? The king! Do you understand what's happening? The king! Now just put this in the spiritual context. The king is literally saying, Hey, Walker, I want you to come and eat with me every day. Do you understand, like in biblical times, inviting someone into your home is a big deal of friendship. That means you are worthy to come into my home, into relationship with me. It's not like us where people just come to our house sometimes. I invite people just come to my house. It's just random people, it feels like, sometimes. Yeah. You're not eating regular at my table anymore. I am not God. Just but when you think about what's happening in this whole process, this wrecked me. And then I come to this point. This is what changed my life forever. So much so I tattooed on my old calf. That's why I always remember what you tattoo on your, on your body. People ask me. Psalm 18, 19. My, my daughter's side note, I was getting this tattooed. My daughter was, because people love to watch me get tattoos because I sweat a lot. And, and my daughter was, my wife was videotaping it. And my daughter goes, oh, he's getting his, his Apple passcode. 
tattoo it. Does he forget it? <laughs> Just let you know that is not the passcode anymore. <laughs> that has changed. <laughs> no. <laughs> but Psalm 1819, he said, I rescued you because I delighted in you. Think about this. My friend Chad has spent three years trying to minister to me, and I still went up and down. It's hard to just one day just accept love. Have you ever been there? Just one day you're like, oh, I'm loved. I'm good. Everything's healed. When you've been through so much as I went through, everyone told me they loved me. I've been in the church for 15 years at the time, and I could tell you, church people just come and go. Know how many people have said, I got your specs, Steve. I love you, Steve. And they're gone when things get hard. I was hoping someone would stick around when things got hard. When our youth pastor and our, our worship leader had an affair, I lost 75% of my church. This is a couple months after I just baptized 27 new people. And I say about less than 10 serve God today because of that affair. These are the same people going, oh, everything's good, Steve. Church is growing. We love you. Oh, we got your back. What happens when shit hits the fan? Who has your back? I found out during that time, God did, and my wife. It's the first time I've seen things go wrong, because remember, I'm going back, to, I tell these stories for a rhyme and a reason. When my stepmom gave my dad that ultimatum, that hurt. For the first time, he chose someone else over his own flesh and blood. And I have never felt more of God's pride. God knew I was going through these things, and I felt the presence of God. It took me years to get through this. And you got to understand, you guys, when you understand where you sit at the king's table, you have to break free from this orphan mindset that seems to just run rampant in the church. You guys agree or disagree with that? We have so many people just like, Lex, you said it best. We've really made church about us. Here's the thing. Your feelings are going to lead you astray. Do you guys get that? Your feelings are not reliable. If you base your whole relationship on God on your feelings, you're screwed. Because guess what? What happens if you bad day? God hates me. Does he? Maybe. Just kidding. Just bad. Don't write that in your notes. Think about this. How often do we put our attention so much of going, hey, I feel like this today. I Seriously, I speak on this because I live this. God hates me. My church is falling apart. God loves me because my church is growing. That is stupid. God loves me because my marriage is going good. God hates me because my wife is mad at me today. Guess what? If you've been married, you will have ups and downs. Your kids, oh, Miller's being good today. God loves me. Miller's being a poop head. God must be punishing me. I've heard people talk like that. That is hogwash stupid. Get it out of your head. You, he's literally inviting you to the king's table to eat and dine with the king. He wants you there. Feelings aside, he understands you have them. But you literally base your relationship on God on your feelings. I'm not coming to church today because someone offended me. How many times have I heard that? Steve, you said this. Okay. I will say a lot of dumb things. I promise you. I will hurt you. I am literally just a human being. I know I have found it faithful and true. One will stick by you. And you have to get to this place that you sit there going, no matter what your past is, I still feel like no matter how many times we say it, people struggle with it. You're literally forgiven. Do you get it? I don't care what bad thought you're having in your head right now. You are for, you're literally free. Who the sun sets free is free indeed, right? We can scream it from the top of our I'm free! But here it is. We struggle getting to this place of really realizing that we are. Do you know what freedom really is? Walking through crap and still keeping your head high. Sitting at the king's table 
even when you feel like God disappointed you. You're getting to this place, oh no, someone peed in my Cheerios today. Who cares? <laughs> you guys get it? No, well, if it's real, Pete, come on, it's a metaphor. <laughs> We're talking about metaphors. And, but it's literally, we have, can you guys, like, listen, like, to this? Like, a lot of us have, you guys, John 5, you can go there. I'm just going to, you guys remember the healing pool? The guy's paralyzed for 38 years. That's frustrating, right? Jesus shows up on the scene. Do you understand something about this? Jesus walked on the scene. There's a lot of sick people around. Did you know he didn't heal them all? He only healed one. What's the one question did he ask the guy? Who knows it? Starts with do you, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? If you are paralyzed for 38 years and I went up to you and Benji, do you want to be healed? Shook your head first. <laughs> Like, I like being paralyzed. This is awesome. Do you want to be healed? It is a legitimate question. And I'm sitting there going, "That's why would you ask that stupid question? Of course he wants to be healed. Obviously, there's a difference. Jesus knew his heart and mind. A little scary, a little creepy, not fun. He knows everything goes on. So he asked him a legitimate question. Do you want to be healed? Because you know what? know what? The guy really liked to mope around by his answer. He went... Well, of course, but everyone beats me to the pool and I can't, I'm not able to get there. What? Seriously, excuses have to go. Think about this. We have so many excuses. Like, it drives me, now that I'm finally living free, I want to slap myself. What is wrong with you, Steve? Who cares? I cannot, here it is. I could never control what my stepmom did to me. I cannot control what my dad did. I cannot control that I lost my mother at three years old. I have zero control over any of that. You guys get that? It's not even my fault that my mom, my stepmom treated me like that. Anything that's happened to you, that's someone else's decision, it's not your fault. But you have control of your reaction to anything that happens to you. You have 100% control. You guys are adults now. You can literally drive your car and Lex is leaving the presence of God. And people are like, eh, I got something else. And I'm sitting, but then they dump on you. I have all these problems going on. Dude, you're not eating regularly at the king's table. That's what's happening. Think about this. The way you could get through the stuff in your life is literally sit at the king's table. I'll never forget this. I think I'm bad with time. Three years ago, my daughter was dying literally in front of me. Watching someone I loved deeply. Still love. I said love. I said it past tense. I still love her deeply. And this is literally as I walked out of her room. And they're like, this may be it. All I did was look to the God. To God. To the God. To the God. I watched Gardens of the Galaxy just recently, so I probably have a lot of gods in my head. But I just sit there going, I have no words. You're just God. And I am not. I didn't wail. I didn't scream. I didn't plead. I literally, in, I have one sign that goes in my room. It says, eat regularly at the king's table. I have to remind myself, no matter where I'm at in my life, to eat at the king's table. That's where I'm going to get fed. Jesus, when I remember the disciples go, when he's talking to the Samaritan woman, he's like, where'd you get your food? Yeah, he goes, you have food? I, I don't even know. He's eating regularly at the king's table, at, at his father's table. He is the king. He's not the father's table. Think about this. Life is hard, guys. 
Solomon, one of the best books he ever wrote, even though I think he wrote it in complete depression, is Ecclesiastes. Life can just crap on you. You have zero control. We have to get to this place that we are absolutely wrecked by the love of God. And then in return, like I worship different now, and I've shared with Lex my whole new life I live. I'm just a quiet worshiper now. But it's the most honest I've ever been. Because I used to do it for a show. Oh, that if the pastor's on fire, then everything's good. I literally run my youth ministry on a day to choose Jesus every day. You got to choose him on Tuesday too. Got to choose him on a Wednesday. And I just want to encourage you guys in this whole situation in a, is getting from this orphan mindset to the sonship. In Ephesians 1, I'm not, I'm not going to paraphrase that. I'm going to read it. It's one, Ephesians 1 is super awesome once I get to it. Like really good. <laughs> this may get me excited. I'm sure you guys know this, but Ephesians 1.4 says this. Even before, everyone say before. That was weak. Even before he made the world. Even before he made the world. Think about this. Before he made any of this. This is awesome. Oh, gosh. My Bible spin and turned. He said, God loved us and chose us. Even before. The world was made. He loved you and chose you. You were on his mind way before he created anything. And he says, to chose us in Christ to be holy, and this is my favorite part, and without fault in his eyes. Think about this. You have, he literally sees you with no fault. You are an un I almost said blemished, <laughs> unblemished lamb to him. Do you think about, think about this? Do you know Old Testament at all? This is a good thing. Even before he created the world, he's sitting there going, I loved you and chose you to be without fault in my eyes. He literally sees you sinless. What? What? Then he goes, that's good enough, but he keeps going. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. This is just Old Testament now. He decided in advance to adopt you, each and every one of you, into his family. Do you know what that means? Now you get to go into the house and eat the food. Without getting reprimanded. One of the hardest things with orphans, whether you're a spiritual one or a real one, I've seen it happen over and over. One of the hardest things they ever do is knowing that it's theirs. Everything is really theirs. They struggle with it. Most of them are hoarders. <laughs> they hide things. Because they're like, who's going to take it away? Like, there's a lot to this. Being an orphan, a spiritual orphan, you, I hate when Christians say, I'm not good enough. What's mine is yours. It's literally what Jesus says. If it's in my house, you get it. King David said it to Mephibosheth. What's mine is yours. And what was your grand grandpa's is now yours too. He's dead. Think about it. He got inheritance. He got everything. What is happening? You guys understand what's happening with us, like where we stand with the Father? It changes the way you worship. It changes the way you read the Bible. It changes the way you go through life, knowing that you are literally adopted into his family. We are literally grafted in, Romans says. And he doesn't stop. He goes, by bringing himself through Christ Jesus, oh, this is, seriously, when you read my Bible, when I, I can't even read it sometimes, I had to get a new Bible because I'd underline so much and I couldn't read the words. I'm doing it again. 
This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. This is what he wanted to do. Think about this. The hardest things parents have with dealing with a, a regular orphan is coming in is, like, they wanted you. But when an orphan goes, but I don't understand. Everyone else rejected me, even my own parents, whether it's, no matter how it is, they feel rejected. And mine was a terrible rejection when your own flesh and blood rejects you in the whole in the house. He chose work over his son. Orphanhood takes all shapes and sizes here. It's just not in the foster care system, which is one of the worst systems I've seen in a long time. But I'm telling you, when you have a father that just ignores you and wants nothing to do with you, though they have good intentions in trying to raise you, my dad and I have figured it out. It took us years to go through some stuff. Me going, what the hell, dude? <laughs> but I've sat here and I... But for me to be and feel comfort with my own dad, I had to know I'm accepted by my real dad. And once I was accepted by my real dad, I let him fix my relationship with my earthly dad. And now I have my dad, this is so good. About three or four years ago, my dad texted me. It was a long text. And he apologized to me for choosing. I waited for this text for 25 years. Noah's text, he doesn't really, I've seen him cry once. He does not an emotional man. He said, I'm sorry. The hell I put you through. But I'm proud of you. And the man you became. You have fought for everything. I stopped being angry at my earthly father. Because I was eating regularly at the table of my heavenly father. And now... God is opening up. My Heavenly Father is opening my own earthly father to the love of God. Think about this. I stopped being angry. I forgave my stepmom. Because I began eating again at the table. You guys see what's happening? I let go of my anger of my stepmom. I remember going to this intense counseling. And this, this is a true story. This is not just, hey, let's talk about it. You live out your stuff. I had a bunch of guys surrounding me to tell me everything my stepmom used to say to me. And then on the outside of the circle is my counselor. He runs one of the best ministries I know to this day, Men at the Cross. Me and him are still friends to this day. He goes, what do you want to do, Steve? You want to punch me? Come punch me. I know that anger's inside you. Do you hear the words they're saying? And then all of a sudden, and I broke fell to my knees and I said, I just want to hug you and let you know I've forgiven you. I don't know if you've ever been abused, physically or emotionally or verbally. I don't know what's worse. Sometimes I'd rather just get punched back in the day because at least the pain would go away. Verbal abuse is hell. Emotional abuse is hell. Do you see what happens when you move from orphan to sonship? Do you see what happens when you realize he wanted to love you and choose you and be a part of his family? Everything becomes authentic. And he finishes out, he goes, this is what it wanted to do and it gives him great pleasure. And this is the part. So we praise God. For, for the glorious grace, I'm crying so I can't read it really well. We praise God for the glorious grace He has poured out on us because of His dear Son. So what happens as we move from this transition of just being authentic before the Father and going into the room and we begin to praise Him and we just lift our hands because He is God. And we are not. 
He is still the Father. We're just the children. And that changes everything about the way you do anything. We have to get past the religious part of the Father and the things that the Pharisees saw. And we've got to get to this place that He literally loves us like children. And how old's Miller, too? And I have a 20-year-old and a 16-year-old. And one of the things I've learned, I love my children dearly. Anyone that knows me knows I love my kids. And I have to even tell my own kids, what's mine is yours. I love you. But I messed up. My daughter just confessed some stuff to me recently. She goes, I thought you were going to be mad. I said, I love you. And I hope you see the good things I see. I hope you see the good things. <laughs> I hope you see sometimes what I see in you. Only she can identify what I see in her someday. Does that make sense? I know sometimes I only, I don't got, I'm not a man of many words. Like, I don't know what I just said. In my head, it sounded really good. But I remember she goes, I just thought you were going to be mad. I gave her a hug and I said, I love you. You can not eat dinner tonight because you're in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) No food for you. (laughs) Good luck, though. Maybe tomorrow you can eat at the table. (laughs) But it's just like she was so astounded. And every time my kids drop a bomb on me, they think it's going to ruin our relationship. And I keep telling them, you're loved. You're literally loved. If I cannot, as a father, show the love of God to my kids, I failed. I, if I only love my son when he's doing well and dropping 21 points, and I can't love him when he's got five turnovers and no points, I failed as a father. If I cannot love my daughter when she's worshiping God with all her heart, if that's the only time I love her, I failed as a father. If I cannot love her when she has fallen on her face, I failed, guys. I have to love. But the only way I can love like that is sitting at the table. I am literally human. There's parts of me that wants to literally go crazy on my kids. Like seriously, batshit crazy. They drive me crazy sometimes. I drive myself crazy. And I'm sure I drive God crazy. I try. Can you imagine my relationship gone? It's crazy. It's weird. But I want to encourage you guys on this last part is getting to the table. This is my favorite story in the whole Bible, John 8, the adulterous woman. I worked in the sex trafficking field, my wife and I, for 10 years. I know this world very well. I worked with some of the darkest things I've ever seen in my life. John 8. You guys know the adulterous woman? She gets caught in adultery, right? They dr- the people who are supposed to know God drag her out. Think about this. What do we do with people like this? We kill them, right? They have every right. That's the law. Can you imagine what she's going through? She's probably weeping so hard. She's getting ready to once again take her last breath. Like Mephibosheth thought he was too. And what does Jesus say? Those without sin can throw the first, can cast the stone. Can you imagine the relief when she dropped, when she hears the rocks drop? Jesus bends down, which is probably the best part of this whole story. You understand he got with her? Guys, I am wrecked by Jesus' love. He got with her. He said, where are your condemners? I don't know. They're gone. Well, I don't condemn you either. I always wonder what her life was like after. When you get wrecked by this love, something happens. It's more than just going to church. It's more than just going, you guys understand Christianity isn't just like, hey, hey, everything's good. Sometimes it sucks. 
And it's okay to say, it's sucky right now. I hate fake. I don't like people go, well, I'm bloody praising God anyways, when really you're giving God the middle finger. It's God can take your bad days. You understand? I can take my own kids' bad days. Just like you're having a rough day. I get it. Can't live here. Not in my house. Can't live in that space. <laughs> like in your head. Well, that's like, man, Steve is bipolar here. <laughs> can't eat, kick him out. Yeah, get right with God, and then you come back to my house. <laughs> that sounded bad. I had to rephrase that. There's a space that I tell people, like, I, we have to get to that place where, like, okay, get to that world where you're just like, you know what? I'm just going to, I don't have it today, but this is what I got. I'm exhausted with life. And all I did was walk around and just like, just sing the songs. Just to get to that place and get to that table. But here's the last thing. Only one person can get you to this table. You. It is literally your choice what you do with this. If you choose not to eat at the table, that's on you. It's prepared. If you choose not to forgive, that's on you. If you choose to just be mad and pissy all the time, that is not on anyone else to stop taking it out on everyone else. That's on you. It's not your pastor's fault. It's not your dad's fault. It's not your mom's fault. It's you. Just get it together. And just eat at the king's table. And let him love you where you're at, and you worship back. That's a love affair. So, I don't know. I don't know how to close. I haven't preached a sermon in a long time. I'm done. <laughs> All right. Any, oh, man. I'm crying so much. Everyone feeling good? So, what we're going to do is, I just want, I don't, I'm not an emotional moment type guy because I feel like sometimes I kind of, Oh, I got touched by God, and then we go back to our house, and we're like, eh, kind of forget about it. But I do want to pray, or if you have questions, like, how do we get to this? What keeps you guys, like, in that orphan mind? Who's ever been in the orphan? Most of us probably lived in the orphan world before, right? I'm talking about spiritual orphanhood right here. Like, what keeps you guys from, like, knowing that you're a son or daughter of God? I just want to hear, like, what keeps that 